Hello, Freedom Fighters, and welcome to the First in Freedom podcast, where we discuss current threats to our freedom, how the impact is here at home, and what we can do to stop it. In this week's Freedom Focus, I interview Thomas Townsend, former school teacher, entrepreneur, and now candidate for Stanley County Commissioner. I'll also share with you the latest example of CRT in our local schools. I'm your host, Jason Phibbs, and we're taking freedom back. Freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. All right. Thanks for listening this week, folks. Appreciate that. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Duke, North Carolina game coming up this weekend. For those Tar Heel and Blue Devil fans out there, and I know you're out there, um, this has got to be one of the most exciting weekends in North Carolina sports history. For the first time ever in the NCAA tournament, Duke and North Carolina will meet in the tournament, period. Forget where. And then of all places, they're going to meet in the Final Four, the national semifinal, Duke and North Carolina, ultimate bragging rights on the line. I am so thankful I'm not in school anymore. For any of you Tar Heel fans that went to school with me, I'm I'm just so thankful that I don't have to, to hear it from you guys if, heaven forbid, North Carolina should win this game. For those who don't know, I'm a Duke fan, been a lifelong Duke fan. Um, yeah, it's just the way I was brought up. You know how it is, right? You, you just go with, uh, with your family. So anyway, lifelong Duke fan. Um, super excited about the game. Honestly, I'm, I'm glad I'm at a, a much better place in my life where I can just enjoy this and hopefully not get too worked up about it. After all, it is just a game. But after two years of the pandemic and all of the craziness that we've endured, it really feels good to just have a fun moment like this. So, you know, my encouragement to all of you is just enjoy it. You know, get together with some friends, watch watch the game, get together with, you know, with your Duke and North Carolina folks, um, and just have a good time and enjoy the moment. Uh, this will be Coach K's. Uh, last run through the tournament potentially if he loses obviously be his last game ever Um, and then for hubert davis the brand new coach of the tar heels it's his first ncaa tournament so there's just so many great storylines out there but um, yeah really for, for these two storied programs and all of their history being so close in geography um, the, the, the rivalry between the schools and their, and their basketball records is, is just incredible how close it is. It, it truly is, as many people believe, the best rivalry in all of sports, not just college basketball, but in all of sports. So anyway, something to be proud of uh, from a North Carolina perspective. So um, enjoy the weekend. All right. So now let's get to news you need to know. All right, so um, this week I wanted to talk about um, CRT. Um, so the, 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 the title, I guess, or the essence of this story is that CRT is everywhere. And I want to just kind of walk you through my journey on how I discovered this um, within our local schools. And like I say, I believe it's applicable everywhere because you may have some version of this or may even have the same instance of this within your own school system here in the state. 
Um, so I'll just kind of walk you through what happened. So back at the beginning of March, um, our uh, monthly school board meeting is on the first uh, Monday or Tuesday, first Tuesday of every month. And so uh, it was coming up for March 1st. And so I thought, well, you know, before the meeting tonight, I'll just go in and check and see what's going to be on the agenda. And I noticed that when I went to look at the agenda, um, there was a special called meeting for earlier in the afternoon before the regular meeting that evening. Um, and it only had one agenda item, uh, one agenda item on it, and it was uh, Cognia um, accreditation training. So the the only agenda item was Cognia accreditation training, and I thought, well, what is that? So then I just thought, well, let me just search for Cognia on the Stanley County Schools website. So I searched for that, and I found uh, a page, and it says here, quote, uh, Stanley County Schools will participate in the Cognia accreditation process from April 4th through the 7th. So that will be coming up next week. I'm recording on March 31st. So coming up next week, um, they'll be going through this process. It says, this is an event that occurs every five years to provide feedback from an outside agency on the quality of our school system. Part of the accreditation process is the collection of data via surveys to students, staff, and parents. These surveys will be available to complete on February 24th and 25th, but can be previewed below. If you do not wish for your student to participate, please send a note to the school requesting to opt out of the Cognia accreditation student survey." End quote. So that, that was the information that was there. And then they have, and I think they're actually still on the website, they had the actual surveys that were going to be given to like elementary, middle school, and high school. And I went through all of those surveys and, you know, I didn't see anything on there that was, you know, that jumped out at me as being unusual. Um, I mean, I don't really know how critical it is, but, you know, fine, whatever. It, it was it was information. Um, I didn't see any, you know, you know, do you think you're a racist or whatever. It, nothing of that variety. So, um, so that was interesting. So, then I thought, well, let me just do a little bit further research and see, you know, is this like a requirement from the state? Do they have to do this? Like, what are the rules here? And just based on what searching I did on the State Department of Public Instruction website, I couldn't find anything where K-12 public schools are required to be accredited. Um, the only thing I could find was that high schools in the state can be accredited by the state if they choose so that's an option that they have however they don't have to be so in fact um, if you go to the place on the state department of instructions website where it talks about high school accreditation it actually says that this process is currently unavailable it doesn't say why and it just has an email address there and then if you look at the high schools that have been accredited through that process there's only 13. so bottom line is as best as i could find this accreditation process that our local schools is going through is completely voluntary. There, there's no you know requirement for it. And I'm sure there's a cost, right? These folks don't do this for free. So that got me searching to say, okay, well, so what is this Cognia company all about? Let me do some searching on that. So I came across an article um, in just Googling Cognia, and I found an article called um, to eradicate critical theories in K-12, parents need to know about the invisible layer of control. And this was an article written in July of 2021, produced by pjmedia.com, and I'll link the article in the show notes. Um, but it, in the article, it talks about a lot of different stuff, but it, it talks about CRT and sort of the battle in the schools, etc. But it mentions in between the state education department and the local school district is a layer of nonprofits. 
While you may be familiar with accreditation for colleges and specific types of degree programs, certain organizations provide accreditation at the K-12 level in about 20 states. Okay, So that's just, I think, a good kind of start to this idea of there's another entity out there, right? That's not just the State Department of Education in whatever state you're in, and obviously in our case, North Carolina. There's also, you know, not just your local school district, but there are these nonprofits that are involved that are providing resources to schools, that are, in this case, providing accreditation support for schools, etc. And so we have to be extremely mindful of what type of information and ideologies are being pushed through these nonprofit organizations. So it, the article goes on to say the largest two of these organizations used to be known as Advanced Ed and Measured Progress. The businesses merged into a new company, Cognia. In a complex timeline of predecessor firms, the new company, Cognia, has been around for about 125 years. So company's been around for a long time, has very deep roots, and um, it says, although Cognia aims to ensure education quality, it seems the organization has not been doing such a great job in recent decades, perhaps because it takes a quote-unquote holistic approach with a commitment to, quote, diversity, equity, and inclusion, end quote. So that's, these are the types of things that started to pique my interest. So I did more digging. So I thought, well, let me, uh, let me go in and see what else I can find. Well, in this same article, they had a clip from the CEO, Mark Elgert, of the Cognia organization. And this was from 2020, um, right in the middle of the BLM uh, deal. So I want you to just listen to this um, listen to this YouTube video. He's basically making a corporate statement about everything that was going on on behalf of Cognia. Now, this is about three minutes and 20 seconds long, so I, I know it's a little lengthy, but just hang in there and listen to it, and then we'll talk about it. Cognia's work has a legacy and long-standing commitment to advancing pathways for success for all learners. The tragic events and racial uprisings of late have reignited a sense of urgency. We realize more than ever that there's still more work to be done in making sure all learners have equal access to quality education. I know it may seem that diversity, equity, and inclusion are the buzzwords of the moment, but for us, these are guiding principles we have always embraced. These words carry so much power but are simple at their core. Diversity values the differences of all. Equity requires fairness for all, and inclusion secures access for all. We've always believed that students learn best in an environment where cultural differences are embraced and explored and where no boundaries confine a student's potential. We know there's more work to be done to ensure every child has equal access to equitable learning opportunities and resources. That process begins with the recognition that we can do better. This is why Cogni is committed to helping our institutions address the complex issues of systemic racism and inequities. We also are ensuring we're applying the same lens to our own culture. We all must work together to ensure no person feels excluded, no learner is treated differently because of the color of their skin, and no one feels that their voice is unheard. Cognia's expectations for learning are no different than our institution's expectations. We each must hold ourselves accountable for meeting these expectations. But we also must recognize 
when we need help and support along the way, especially in acknowledging how we can do things better. That's why we're launching a new protocol to help institutions demonstrate a firm commitment to equity. With it, Cogni institutions will be provided specific equity recommendations from independent third-party observation to help improve culture, teaching, and learning in schools. In so doing, we'll help shine a light on how well institutions approach school quality, equity, and learner experience. As a standards-based organization, we also are introducing learner-centric accreditation standards that emphasize the importance of removing the barriers of prejudice, bias, and discrimination from a child's journey of learning. These strategies and actions align with our belief that education is the vehicle for a pathway to effect change. It is in everyone's best interest that our policies, Cognias and the institutions we serve, are reflective of a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. At the core of our humanity, we want to see a world that celebrates diversity and that a student's uniqueness is accepted and reflected in their learning experience and success. Join me in this journey. Now let's get started. All right. So you heard there directly from Mark Elgert, the CEO of Cognia. And this, again, was back during the uh, BLM riots. And you might think, well, he was probably just saying that at the time, you know, just sort of uh, tipping the cap there to the culture and just, you know, trying to, to, to virtue signal to let everybody know that he's woke and all that kind of stuff. Well, in fact, they've actually taken action on that. But just think for a moment, just some of the things that he said. A couple things I want to call out. Number one, he talked very uh, repeatedly about the about how diversity, equity, and inclusion are core to what Cognia is all about. It's not just something they started doing now. This is what they've been about. So diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And we know DEI, these are the buzzwords um, of the CRT movement. This is the way it's being infiltrated into corporations all over the world, uh, certainly all over our country. This is how it's being talked about in schools. These are sort of the non-threatening terms that they use. Oh, you know, everybody, we have diversity and equity and inclusion. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Who would be against that? So he talks about that. He also talks about systemic racism specifically, right, which we know is a lie. Systemic racism is not there. We've had a civil rights movement. All Everyone has equal access. No one is being denied an education. Everyone's allowed to vote, right, on and on and on. I mean, show me the examples. When you ask for examples, people can't point them out to you. People are not being discriminated on the basis of their uh, race or ethnicity or anything like that from a systemic perspective. It's just not out there. So systemic racism is a big lie that, that the left is using, and more specifically, Marxists are using to fundamentally transform our culture. They are trying to end our constitutional republic and replace it with communism. And they're using race and potentially, and also I should say, and also gender identity they're using these two things to divide us and conquer us. That's, that's, his, that's CRT, critical theory, whether it's critical gender theory, critical race theory. That's all of it in a nutshell. It's divide and conquer. Split everybody up into groups, isolate them from one another, and then tear them apart. Right? Do indoctrinate them with lies, misinformation, um, and, and, and push this equity agenda. When you hear the word equity... That is different than equality. 
when we have t- historically talked about equality, which is, if you go back to the civil rights movement, that's the word that was used, was equality. It means treating everyone the same regardless of their ethnicity, their race, what have you, right? They're, they're immutable characteristics, treating everyone the same, uh, valuing everyone the same. That's equality. Equity is totally different. Equity is the same outcomes. It means equal outcomes. It means regardless of what kind of effort anyone puts in. So we're, we're getting rid of meritocracy, which is the core of a capitalist society. Forget meritocracy. We're saying regardless of what kind of effort you put in, everyone should get the same outcome. Everyone should make the same. Everyone should get the same. Everything should be distributed evenly. Redistribution of wealth, resources, etc. That's communism, folks. That's exactly what communism is. So when you hear equity, you need to trigger in your brain communism. Every time you hear equity, communism. Diversity, that is division. I'm going to go through some of these here in a minute as well. But I want to show you how they have institutionalized this. So to show that this is not just a speech that he gave to to, uh, virtue signal to the culture, they have a new set of performance standards. This is on the Cognia website. You can go look it up yourself. I'll attach it in the show notes. But they have a new set of performance standards for 2022. These go into these go. They haven't even gone into effect yet. They go into effect July 1st of 2022. And this is the organization that we are asking to uh, accredit ourselves. Um, and well, and before I get into that, <laughs> just a, one more thing in the video that he mentioned. In addition to systemic racism. He also mentioned how they are going to partner with third-party entities to provide specific recommendations on how to promote equity in your schools. Now, who are these third-party entities? I don't know. But I, I bet you this, I bet you they're woke. I bet you they are Marxist radicals that can't wait to get their, uh, their, uh, their ideology into your child's brain. I'll tell you that much. CRT is everywhere. And this is just another example, this layer in between the state State Department of Education and the local school districts. This is a good example of this invisible layer of nonprofits that are infiltrating the schools in ways that you don't even see it. You've probably never even heard of Cognia. I had never heard of it either until I saw it on the agenda, and then I had to go do the research myself. So getting back to the performance standards. So in the performance standards, it's only like a seven-page document, so you can read it pretty easily. Um, but on the very first full page, after the title page, they have a section called New Concepts. And I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. Every iteration of Cognia's performance standards builds on the prior version to support ongoing improvement. Many of the themes of the previous standards are reflected in the new standards. The 2022 standards also include several significant new concepts to guide institutions forward, including, and one of those is demonstration of equity. And demonstration of equity is defined by, in this paper, defined as, these standards emphasize the expectation of equity, communism, for every learner across all aspects of the institution. Equity, communism, is expressed in the institution culture and in a curriculum that values the diversity of individuals, families, cultures, and more. Okay, so this is a new concept that they're introducing, demonstration of equity. And then if you go to under their section called Key Characteristics 1, Culture of Learning, um, 
they have a, a list of standards. So what is a culture of learning? Well, they, they talk about what a culture of learning is, what it means, and then they go into their standards. And standard number one is leaders cultivate and sustain a culture that demonstrates respect, fairness, equity, comma, or in parentheses, communism, and inclusion, and is free from bias. Now, a, a system of education or a culture that is free from bias, you and I, when we hear that, we think to ourselves, we think, man, free from bias. Well, yeah, that makes sense. We don't want anybody to be biased or discriminatory. Well, the, but the way they apply that is think about that in the context of gender identity, of LGBTQ, of systemic racism and all this stuff. If you try to tell them, oh, no, 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 you can't talk about that, just like Florida just did with their with their bill to ban the teaching of social or gender identity and sexual orientation to K through three, that's considered bias. And see, they want an environment that is free from bias. They want equity. They want uh, uh, equality of outcomes, equity of outcomes. They want inclusion. They want everyone to be pulled in, everyone to be valued for who they are and what they are, regardless of their choices and decisions, which there are good and bad choices. And see, this is all a part of destroying and taking apart our society piece by piece so that there is no standard. There is no morality. There is no higher order of things. And of course, this undermines the very authority of God upon which the principles of this country were built on. So this is very clearly a, a company that is driving Marxist ideology through the lens of CRT, calling it diversity, equity, and inclusion so that you'll accept it in order to change our culture. And when they, if they get your kids, they've got the next generation. They're going to brainwash your kids, and they're going to teach your kids to hate you because you don't believe this. So when your kids learn this, and they get this ideology in their head, guess what they're going to do? They're going to come home and they're going to say, Mom and Dad, you're a bigot. Mom and Dad, you're a racist. You don't recognize your racism. You don't recognize your, your white supremacy. And this is the kind of garbage that they're going to put on you. This, this Marxist ideology is real, and it is everywhere, and we've got to wake up. It's got to be pulled out. It's, it's like a weed. It can grow anywhere. And it must be pulled up before it destroys everything good. And we've got to recognize that now. Just because you don't have, just because you don't hear a teacher getting up in front of the classroom and saying CRT or critical race theory or you know uh, making your, the students read White Fragility or by Robin DiAngelo or reading Ibram X Kendi, just because that's not happening, doesn't mean that CRT ideology is not being promoted in the schools. And again, if you go back to an earlier podcast, I reported on the story that was done by the, the James Martin Center, where they talked about how universities are educating teachers in this ideology. So that by the time they get into your local school districts, it doesn't matter what the curriculum is, which, by the way, if you know how North Carolina schools work, there is no curriculum. They have a set of standards 
and the teachers get to make it up as they go. So they can pull in whatever resources they want. You don't know what they've got unless you go and grill them for it, uh, which is one of the things that Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson is trying to push is, is more transparency so that teachers have to put their lessons plan online, et cetera. So without textbooks, without set curriculum, you don't know what your child's learning unless they tell you or unless you're there. So the, the, the ideology, even if it's not explicit, is certainly implicit in the ideology that is being taught to the teachers, and then the teachers go and then bring that to the school. It's all about raising uh, critical consciousness. That's one of the things that you'll hear. If you listen to a guy like James Lindsay, who's done a lot of work on this, you'll hear them talking about critical consciousness. And what this does is it basically may, it, it, it alerts you and makes you think about race being everywhere. And if you and it, and if you'll think for a minute, haven't we all become much more sensitized to race over the last two years since the BLM? Of course we have, and that shows you how much it works. They've got all of us wondering, you know, walking around second guessing ourselves, saying, "Am I saying something that's racist? Am I am I acting racist? Is this systemically racist or whatever?" And that's what they want. They want you looking for racism everywhere, even where it doesn't exist. So. I'll just close with this translation of DEI, a diversity, equity, inclusion. When you hear diversity, equity, inclusion, here's what I want you to think about. The term diversity, what we, what normal people think that means is when we think about diversity, we think about how God has made us all different and therefore complementary. And, and therefore, when we work together as different people with different skills, with different talents and different gifts, it makes a beautiful whole. That is the beauty of God's creation. That's what we think about when we think about diversity. But what they mean, what the Marxist and the radicals mean when they think about diversity, regardless of what they say, is they mean division. They mean splitting us up into groups uh, by affinity and teaching us to hate the other groups, raising our critical consciousness so that we're, we're looking, we're seeing basically systemic racism behind every door, behind every corner, and dividing us uh, against one another. So the, the diversity part is the dividing. When I say divide and conquer, the diversity part is the dividing part. If you're not bringing people together to celebrate what we have in common, our common humanity, our, our common, the fact that we have the all have the image of God in us, that we are created equal by God, that, that is the type of diversity that we want to celebrate. But instead of, of doing that, we come together and we look at our differences and we see how different we all are. And then we, they, they teach us to point fingers at one another and blame everyone else for our problems. So that's the diversity part. The equity part, as I mentioned before, this is about the destruction of effort. This is the destruction of meritocracy. This says what you do doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how hard you work. Everybody should get the same. It's a redistribution of wealth. It's a redistribution of resources. It is communism. And then finally, inclusion. Inclusion means anything goes. That's when we destroy tradition. We destroy moral standards. There are no barriers to social entry. All ideas are the same. And everyone should be embraced regardless of what kind of sick and twisted beliefs that they have. And all of this is wrong, and it is evil. There is a conspiracy here. And the conspiracy is being led by the devil himself. Folks, this, this is evil. This is antithetical to God and his creation. 
and we and we have to stop trying to excuse it and hide from it and say, well, there, there's not a specific book or there's not a specific teacher or there's not a specific thing that says critical race theory or that says systemic racism or whatever. And we have to look underneath the covers and see that this Marxist ideology is everywhere. Look, communism has been building in our country for decades, going all the way back to Social Security. The, the, all of these concepts are, were building and have been grooming us for generations towards equity, towards this ideology of communism. And we've got to put a stop to it wherever we can, however we can. So remember, CRT is like a weed. It can grow anywhere, and it must be pulled up before it destroys everything good. And now let's get to today's Freedom Focus. So for today's Freedom Focus, uh, I interviewed uh, Thomas Townsend, candidate for Stanley County Commissioner. Uh, Actually, didn't even realize this at first. I had met uh, Mr. Townsend at uh, County Republican Party meetings a few times, heard him speak out, um, much like I was doing. We were two of the only ones that were speaking out against what Republicans were not doing in our local area. And so that certainly caught my attention. And then it wasn't until a little bit later when uh, Mr. Townsend and I had gotten a little bit closer and was you know working on campaigns and different things of that nature that we realized that he was my woodshop teacher um, back at Almore High School back in the day in the, in the 90s. So uh, we knew each other all along. But anyway, so he's a former school teacher and um, is an entrepreneur and uh, is one of the Freedom Network candidates that we've been supporting here locally. And so I just want you to hear his story, hear his platform, what he's all about, why he got into this. Um, and so hope you hope you enjoy it. So take a listen. Uh, well, thank you, Tommy Townsend, for joining me here on the First and Freedom podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jason, and I really appreciate you having me on. You bet. So let's just jump right in. Um, first, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and why you chose to run for county commissioner? All right. Well, I've lived in Stanley County for 42 years, and I've been married to my wonderful wife 42 of those 42 years. I have two grandchildren and two, I mean, two children and two absolutely most precious and wonderful grandchildren. Now, my background is a little bit unique in the fact that I have a bachelor's degree in both manufacturing technology and education. And I've taught in both the Stanley County and Mecklenburg County schools in both middle and high school. I also have a master's degree in school administration from Appalachian State University. But when my daughter was two and a half years old, she came down with leukemia. So I was forced to leave teaching because they were going to cut my program to halftime in order to put another program in and kind of split them up. And that would have caused me to lose my insurance. And with a little baby with leukemia, it's not a good thing. So I started, I started looking for another position and, you know, God is absolutely wonderful. He really has always looked after me and he looked after me here by getting me in touch with an individual that was called in to pull a local business out of bankruptcy. And um, I went in, I was hired as the engineering manager and the sales manager. And over the next two years, we took that business from bankruptcy to where it was doing over $10 million a year. So Mm. very, very good. And I learned a tremendous amount about business by going into that endeavor. Mm -hmm. So that was really a blessing. And after leaving that business, 
I started my own construction company because when I was teaching, you know, teachers don't make a lot of money. So you have to do stuff on the side. So I've always done either farming or general contract or some kind of contracting on the side. So I decided to go ahead and open up my own construction company. That meant I had to go sit and take the exams for the, I did a residential and building commercial. So I had unclassified building contractors license. We did um, water and sewer construction, land development, residential commercial buildings, and that got us into a kind of unique thing. We learned about systems built housing. So we started studying that. And I designed an 84,000 square foot state of the art manufacturing facility that we tried to place in Stanley County because it would have provided 120 or 30 jobs. Okay. Hmm. But back then, um, as so often happens, the powers to be um, had kind of a mill hill mentality. And we had a lot of mill companies and they didn't want businesses coming in to compete. So Mm. um, we ended up having to build it in Montgomery County and we did, and it was very successful. But after 9-11, I became fortunate enough to find a buyer out of Boston and we sold it. Um, I was able to pretty much retire, but I was way too young to just quit and retire (laughs) and sit on my hands. And building wasn't going really great at that time anyway, because of all the 9-11 catastrophes that had happened. Mm-hmm. But and the housing collapse that came after that. But um, anyway, we I, I went back into teaching. I thought I'd give back, you know, what I had learned. Mm-hmm. So I went to a Title One school in Mecklenburg County and had a great awakening. Um, education had trained changed dramatically from the time I had started teaching way earlier to then. And I stayed in it for like 10 years because I wanted to help those kids learn that they could be successful, be entrepreneurs and that kind of stuff. But I finally retired out of that, just um, came back and primarily just do um, help people that need small projects done because large builders don't can't take the time to go do it. So I kind of work with them to do that. Um, now, that's a little bit about me and my diverse background, but why I decided to run for District 2 County Commissioner. Um, some say it's because I'm crazy. No, I'm not yeah. I got absolutely fed up watching what was going on. Um, I worried very much for my children and my grandchildren. I grew up at the most wonderful time. We had lots of freedoms and you could do just about anything you wanted to do. And I've watched those freedoms slowly be eroded. And the current commissioner, um, I've watched them do things that I just feel are not not standing up against these tyrannical mandates that are being sent down by our governor. Um, you know, one of the things where they approved the almost one and a half million federal dollars for the health department. Now, you and I both know that anytime you accept federal monies, there's strings attached. Right. Those strings take a lot of control out of our local health department and make them subordinate to what the federal government says you got to do with that money. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. I don't want the federal government in my business. So I'd rather not have that. And, you know, for them to take those monies, force the health department to have to do things they shouldn't be doing, be involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. And then say, well, our hands are tied and nothing we can do about it. I, I have no influence over what the health department does just did not ring well with me. Okay. Right. Yeah. They just made no actual effort to address any of the pandemic 
and just went along with all the mandates that Cooper kept sending down while we watched business after business collapse and go out of business. And we can't afford that in Stanley County. We can't afford that anywhere. So I'm concerned that the current commissioners are setting Stanley County up to have to pay much higher property taxes to support housing growth without, because there's no concrete plans that I've seen to cover the infrastructure costs associated with this growth. Mm-hmm. And there are ways that this could be done to avoid that if it, the growth is managed properly. And that's my concern. I, I'm not against growth at all. I like growth. Growth is inevitable. Sure. And it's good if it's managed to provide the right amount of industry along with housing and, and the other things that have to come into play. Because as a lot of people don't understand, they think, oh, man, you got a two hundred fifty dollars or $350,000 house over here. That's great tax revenue. But that is not enough tax revenue generated from that size houses to cover all the infrastructure costs of the schools, you know, the roads, the EMS, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that, that, those things all combined got me extremely worried. And I thought somebody needs to go in and do something that will fight against that. Yeah, so that's that makes sense. No, thank you for that. So um, now we know that, and I guess I'm just saying this for the sake of the listeners, but you know, the primary, at least for us here in Stanley County, because we are such a heavy Republican County, the primary pretty much is the election. You know, you, you don't have any Democratic opponents, uh, neither do any of the other county commissioner or school board candidates. So um, given the, the primary is coming, and that's the most important thing on May 17th, but if ultimately elected in November, which of course, you know, would sort of solidify that, what would be your top priorities and the things that you'd hope to accomplish? Well, I'd like to see our group of commissioners work together with all the different municipalities to come up with a more unified plan of managed growth um, that fits into what most Stanley County residents want. Uh, One of the most enjoyable aspects of running for this office that really I've enjoyed more than I thought I would enjoy is meeting all the different people, going to the town hall meetings at the different municipalities and talking to people and learning what their interests and their concerns are. Mm-hmm. I went to one in Baden and it was, you know, what they're trying to do there is, is outstanding. It's, it's really good. But anyway, I, if elected, I would want to continue to visit those different town halls as much as I can, at least the different municipalities and meet with those people. So we can pull everybody together to try to work on a more unified plan. Mm-hmm. From my talks with the people of Stanley County, they don't want Stanley County to be another Mecklenburg or Barris County by any means. We, you know, yeah. we know we don't want that. They love the country atmosphere, the little bit more small town type atmosphere, um, but they know change is inevitable. I mean, that's, that's common sense. Mm-hmm. So they want it managed in a manner that is going to provide good paying jobs along with the housing developments that are coming in. Um, this is even more important today than it's ever been with gas prices going through the absolute roof. People having to drive out of the county to work. They're having to make choices. Now, a lot of people are having to make choices between, you know, how am I going to get to work and also buy groceries next week? Mm-hmm. Because the gas prices are taking a wad out of there budget. So, you know, this means making that concerted effort. That's what I want to see happen to bring new industry and, and explore new ways to bring. And there are other ways. I promise you there are uh, with that to bring enough tax revenue to fund the much needed neglected infrastructure, such as the water 
sewer, fire, EMS, sheriff's department, road maintenance. Many of the people of your listeners here are not aware that our taxpayers payers are having to shell out $78,000 of their tax dollars a month to other counties to jail inmates because our jail is overcrowded. Mm. And these are things we've seen and known coming and watching. And with the increase in, in housing that's coming down the pike, you know, that's just going to get worse. We know that. That's, that mm. comes. That's human nature. So we need to work together, everybody, and not, not pit Baden against Locust or any of that. Work together for a unified plan uh, that supports all of the Stanley County citizens. You know, we know our western end of the county is growing extremely fast uh, because of its proximity to Mecklenburg and Cabarrus counties. Uh, that's no surprise and should not be a surprise to anybody. So knowing that and knowing that's been coming, and watching it come, my question is, why is it then that we don't have adequate water and sewer already in place? Okay, there's these things to me, these needs should have been considered long before now and planned for, along with adequate internet and safe and effective cell service. In my opinion, it's just poor management that now has a possibility of becoming a burden on the existing residents of our county. And we don't want that. So we got to have people in there that will look for ways to change this. Got it. And, and just, uh, I guess, to follow up on that a little bit, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, tax revenue, a better infrastructure, things of that nature, some folks might hear that and assume or think that you're implying that you're going to raise taxes. What would you say to that? No, I'm looking for other ways to increase tax revenue other than I definitely I, I live on a farm. I'm, I'm a farmer, so I have a, mm-hmm. a fair bit of acreage and I definitely don't want property taxes raised. Okay. Property taxes are not a fair tax anyway. Mm-hmm. That taxes the people that have worked hard to build something up and create something for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that is not the kind of, of structure I would want to see. There are other ways you can't do. You may not be able to do impact fees on developments coming in, but there are system development fees. And there are other things that can come into play that have to be investigated and looked at so that we can provide adequate water and sewer. Um, There are people in our county now that have lived here all their lives that still don't have good water and sewer. I mean, I know I'm a general contractor. I go to their houses and and their water is red. You know, it's just not good. And there's a lot of arsenic in some of the water. And so wells, a lot of the wells in parts of our county aren't really good wells because of the levels of arsenic. So, you know, we, we've got to protect our citizens. And, and that means looking after, after their best interest, not raising property taxes, if we can help that at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Um, so I guess moving on here, you know, speaking of the pandemic uh, over the last two years, of course, uh, you know, we've seen the well, at least what I would call, you know, the greatest violation of individual liberty in my lifetime, for sure. Um, and 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 also, I would even add to that one of the greatest frauds that have ever been perpetrated on the American people. Um, you mentioned before that you know at least one of the things that you would have done differently than the current board would have been, uh, you know, not to pass all of that federal funding that came through for the health department. That would have been one way to slow things down. Is there anything else you would add to that that you would have done differently uh, with respect to the pandemic? In the current board? Well, I can't fault the current board for the way they, you know, started out handling the pandemic or mm-hmm. the pandemic because nobody knew at that beginning what was going on. But after a few months into it, it was quite evident that the data was false. 
And the message we were getting from the governor was overbearing and false. Mm-hmm. And they should have at that point in time started doing their own research, relying on their own intelligence and changing, looking, looking for a different way to handle the mandates that were being imposed upon us. Um, you know, I would have stood up for the small businesses that were being shut down and run out. Okay, that's, that was insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I also would have stood up for and pushed back against the health department. I sure wouldn't have proved all that money that, that gave the health department or put them in, in a position that they had to impose or felt they had to impose so many of those masking mandates and quarantining issues. I mean, I would have fought to the nail against that because we know students that miss 20 out of 30 days of school time and time again. Mm-hmm. Plus the masking was such a, a horrible, um, did such damage to our children. It was, it was a terrible thing. So mm-hmm. I would have fought against that. And one way we could have done this, as I said earlier, was by not approving that $1.48 million mm-hmm. in those federal funds. Um, because just like I said earlier, the strings attached took the authority away from our health, our local health department and board and put it in the federal government's hands. So they can mandate a lot of things. They could have come in and said, all students, all children, five years and up have to have the shot, you know, and it just would not have been a good deal. So I would be a board member who's not afraid to do their research. And when we're faced with another, and we will be faced with another situation. Okay. After the 2022 election, since this thing miraculously disappeared right before the <laughs> right. union, okay, yeah. I mean, magic. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing how that works. It is, isn't it? I wouldn't be afraid to ask the strong questions, and I would resist what I think they took, the often easy road of simple compliance to those assaults on our constitutional rights and freedoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I just actually saw something a little while ago on Twitter that uh, a podcast host that I follow had posted, and he said that uh, through the month of March uh, so far, more people have died in the United States of COVID this time than the same period last year. And you don't hear a word about COVID anymore. So it's just one more example that this was never about public health or anything like that. This was all about control. Um, So moving on uh, to cell towers. Now, you know, for the listeners, I know some folks may be aware of this issue, especially if you're down in the Norwood area, other folks in other parts of the County may not have heard as much about it, but I bring up the question uh, related to this topic because as far as I know over the past year or so, and I've mentioned this in some of the other interviews that I've done with candidates that, you know, this is the, this is the biggest or the most contentious issue that the current board has faced in the sense that most of their votes are all unanimous. There may be one or two that object here and there, but with the cell tower placement issue in Norwood, they were split pretty much right down the middle. There were several four, three votes and one of the board members recused themselves and went to a 3-3 vote, et cetera. So with that uh, taken into consideration, we know that the board has been looking at uh, updating the zoning laws or ordinances with respect to cell tower placement so that they don't have to basically make a decision or a vote on every single one that comes through. So they're trying to sort of establish a precedent going forward. Um, so they've done these start or at least started these community meetings. And so with all that sort of as the backdrop for this, knowing that they're going to try to establish some sort of rule, 
What principles or factors do you believe should govern the rules for cell tower placement? Well, you know, this is a, a complex issue because I am a individual freedoms, individual rights uh, individual. You know, I believe that you should have as much right to do with your property as you want to do with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but by the same token, we do have zoning ordinances and rules to keep um, somebody in between your two lots, if you're in the city, from letting their lot grow up and pile junk on it, ruin your value and create an infestation of rats and stuff that go, you know, we have zoning ordinances to protect people and to keep them safe. And from that perspective, um, I decided when they opened up those public hearings to go to them and see what was really going on. And I listened and, and there were a lot of, of really good suggestions. Um, one family uh, who had a cell tower placed against their wishes, right up against um, their mother's home, okay? Um, they did unbelievable research because they were the ones that were fighting this issue that the decision was split three to three over. And they didn't just do local research. They did research from all over the world. When I say extensive research, I mean extensive. And I sat in on the meetings and to the credit of the board, they did set up those zoning meetings, you know, those public hearings. Um, But then they got to a point that they were getting a lot of pushback from the public. Mm. Um, And the public was giving them so much information like this family had done that they felt they needed to stop the meetings and do some more research on their own. Now, you know, one of the board members kind of wanted to bring the cell tower industry people in to give their point of view, but that's kind of like asking Pfizer to send in <laughs> right. the people they pay to do their study to show how good their medicine is. <laughs> Ask, asking the Fox for advice on the, the chicken Absol- Absolutely. <laughs> that's exactly what it was like. So, you know, these people had good contacts with individuals that had no skin in the game other than they, they had done research. One, one PhD from Ohio um, University had been appointed to a bipartisan commission to study the effects of cell towers on the human body by the New Hampshire governor. And that individual offered to um, do a Zoom meeting with our board members. So our, our little zoning meeting group decided to, or their little zoning meeting group decided to have that meeting. And I sat in on that one. And I'd already sat in on an earlier one with this professor, which really taught me a tremendous amount. I learned a whole bunch about the harmful and dangerous effects of being in too close a proximity to a cell tower and what kind of damage that can have on a human body, whether it be next to a house or next to a business. I mean, there were places they had to take them off of firehouses because the people in the firehouses were coming down with all kinds of issues from brain cancer to loss of memory to all kinds of stuff. But anyway, um, the commission actually recommended a setback of 500 meters. And they showed a study that, that showed that when you get any closer than 500 meters, the instance of cancers and other issues start rising dramatically. Um, but out from that, it's pretty much even and normal. So what I really think, and, and most people, I got to bring this up, most people don't know. I mean, the cell tower industry is a huge, huge lobby. They've got billions of dollars, okay? And they pay a lot of government officials to pass legislature for them that does not protect you and me, 
but it right. does protect them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, they had North Carolina state statute 160D, which gave the providers almost total, total protection. It, it prevents, and, and our board members keep spouting this. When you ask them questions, why can't you ask the cell tower this? Why can't you ask them why they have to place it here? You know, what, what is, what is the radiation level coming off of this tower, the microwave level coming off? They tell you, we can't ask those questions because of this particular NC state statute that prevents us from asking those questions. We'll be sued. Hmm. So knowing that they do emit radiation and that it does from all the studies all over the world cause harm at, to whatever degree, you know, my takeaway is that at the very least our board should consider the safety of our citizens and act some kind of zoning restrictions that limit the placement of cell towers to whatever setback our citizens, once they see this information, feel safe with and and comfortable with, and will still provide adequate coverage. There's plenty of room to do that. It's Mm -hmm. been proven there is, but, you know, it's not always the cheapest way for the cell tower industry. That's why they would rather get it where they want it because it costs them more to go to these other places. Sure. And, and on top of that, I really think our board should be and should have already been doing this. They should have done this after the first round of, of illegal stuff that went on or not illegal, but the, the legal battles that went on. Right. Right. Um, they should have pushed our state representatives, you know, Wayne Sasser and, and that group to try to eliminate NC State Chapter 160D, Carl mm-hmm. Ford, you know, all that, um, which gives that cell tower industry almost unstoppable power. And it really does limit the ability of the county to make informed decisions because they can't get the information they need that would both provide adequate coverage and address the safety concerns of our citizens. So Mm -hmm. that's something I think we need to push hard for. Yeah, no, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that's the thing. I mean, as you mentioned before, um, I know people can think about this issue and think about individual rights and, you know, we'll, you know, you guys talk about protecting freedom and isn't it my freedom to do what I want to with my property, et cetera. And I think all we're saying here and, and certainly what I hear you saying is, you know, yes, you, you do have your own individual liberty with your with, with with your rights and your property to the degree that it doesn't violate someone else's rights. And so Absolutely. that's what that's what individual liberty is about. And that's that is the fundamental role of government is to protect our overall individual rights and to prevent those rights from trampling the rights of others. So absolutely. All of that makes sense. And again, you know, like you say, I think we're all for progress. Uh, there's just a, a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. So Correct. um at a commissioner's meeting earlier this year, uh, the Department of Social Services reported uh, that 25% of the county is on Medicaid and unfortunately growing because we know that number doesn't go down. And there wasn't really, at least from my perspective, it wasn't any notable reaction either way from the current board. I just want to get your take on what you think about that. That stat kind of jumped out to me and just curious to get your thoughts on it. Well, I was at that meeting and it jumped out at me big time too, okay? Mm. First off, I was appalled that we've got 25% of our total population on, on um, you know, some form of service, okay, mm. um, subsistence. The, the other thing was I noticed the reaction from one particular board member, Bill Lahan, that really bothered me quite a bit. I, I wouldn't have expected this from him, but, you know, I'm for helping people. I, I really, truly want to help anybody that's in need. I do whatever I can. 
And there are a lot of people out there that just find themselves for whatever reason, a bad decision or something economical that happens beyond uh, their control that they just need a leg up and then they'll keep on working and they'll build their way out of it. And, and that's great. Um, I'm all for doing that, but um, I did not like hearing Bill ask the question. Um, he asked, how are you publicizing these benefits so that more people can be aware of? Hmm. Okay. Now, as well-intentioned as that question probably was in his mind, um, it pointed out to me a mindset of more bigger government, not less. Mm-hmm. You know, I would be much more looking for asking questions like, what are you doing to help people get off of assistance? Help people get off of assistance, not force them off. Mm-hmm. Help them get off. Help them right. work their way out of their bad situation. Okay. So it also point, was pointed out in that presentation that our health department is the second largest industry currently in our county, you know, yeah. employer, actually. Mm-hmm. And that's mind boggling. It shouldn't be. That's, that's, that's out of control. In my opinion, we should not need that much, but again, accepting those federal monies with the strings attached, uh, just because it's there, such as the money that the County approved for COVID, you know, that gave them all the forced them into a position where they had to do all those COVID restrictions and everything. Um, I, I just don't like taking that money from the federal government and losing control. And the federal money the board approved for the health department to hand out needles to drug addicts. You know, I would much rather see them find a grant or something that would provide money to help diabetics receive their needles, medication, testing supplies, those kind of things. That's, you know, those people can't help their situation necessarily, and they need the help a lot of them. So I would much rather see us do things like that with the money. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the handing out needles, you know. I see a liberal side to that that some people talk about. Well, you know, it it helps make sure they don't get other diseases and this kind of stuff, but it also makes it easier for them to keep on doing what they're doing. It's like enabling um, your child to continue to do something wrong. And you don't want to enable that. You want to find a way to help that and stop it, hopefully. But, um, you know, it's my opinion that we should be requiring the health department to come up with strategies to help our citizens become self-sufficient and reduce the need for such a huge health department. All the while, I think the members of the board need to be doing their own research, mm-hmm. talking to other states, other counties for looking for ways to help the health department make people become self-sufficient. Okay. Um, self-sufficiency brings with it pride. Okay. Mm-hmm. You feel good about yourself. Um, we have a lot of people that face serious depression because they feel like they can't get out of a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you a real quick side note to that. Back when my daughter got leukemia, we were just purchasing the farm, okay? And we were doing everything we could to make it grow and do. And I was teaching, so I wasn't making diddly squat for money. Mm-hmm. And then when she got leukemia, of course, my wife couldn't even work. She had to be driving my child back and forth to Charlotte all the time. And so we were facing a horrible financial burden. You know who really, what really helped us? I checked on services. At that time, the only services I could have gotten would have been if I had divorced or separated from a wife or we sold everything we had and became basically homeless. Then we could have gotten subsistence. Right. That's not the kind of subsistence you need. The help we got was from everyday citizens in this county. 
They chipped in. Neighbors, people we didn't even know from other churches, the churches helped out. Mm-hmm. It was um, it was a phenomenal time. And if you remember, Hurricane Hugo came through during mm-hmm. that time. I do. And and um, our power, we had no power for several weeks here in the county. Mm-hmm. So the National Guard, I couldn't keep my child at home without adequate air and on. I couldn't run a wood stove because it was too dry heat. She had no immune system from all the chemo and everything. So people that have been through this will understand it. But so the National Guard even came out and set up a generator and helped keep our house going for a while. So, you know, that's the kind of help we need to help each other with. We don't need a government trying to make us more reliant on the government. Right. Yeah. I love that. Go ahead. No, go. You go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said, I'm sorry to get into all that, but I think it's just important that people understand you know, where I really stand. I want people helping people, not government helping people. No, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think one, you know, it's it's a great story about your family and your daughter. And I think also about the role of the private sector in people helping people because they want to, you know, government, yes. when government does charity work, government is taking money from people, uh, you know, in, in whatever jurisdiction it is. And without their consent and giving that money to other people, whether they want to or not. So, you know, when government gets in the charity business, I may or may not believe in those charities. You know, when the government gives money to Planned Parenthood, I'm not in the killing business, you know, but they're they're making my money go there. So I think you bring up a great point that, you know, number one, self-sufficiency is freedom. You know, I mean, that's, yes. that's what it means to be free, to do what you want to do, to have the ability to, to make your own decisions. And instead, government is incentivizing dependency. And I think it's especially important, the point you brought up about Commissioner Lawhon, who, by the way, is your opponent, for those who don't know, and the incumbent, you know, he has on his campaign sign proven conservative leader. Well, I'm here to tell you, folks, government dependency is not a conservative position. So just to be clear about that. So anyway, thank you for your thoughts on that. I think that's helpful. Um, so, you know, speaking of Commissioner Lawhon, and then you have uh, another opponent, uh, John Ledbetter, who is also sort of a newcomer here and a challenger in the race as well. Um, why should the people vote for you over those folks? Well, I'm a little bit unique. Um, un- unlike their background, I have a proven track record of working with customers and building clients uh, to bring a, a company back from the brink of bankruptcy and make it extremely profitable. I also started up and ran my own general contracting companies with experience in land development. I have experience in water sewer construction and repair and residential commercial buildings. That's pretty stout background there. But I also, and what's most important, um, just like when the people were helping us through that situation with my child, they saw that I was continuing to work and try to do for myself. Okay. I have the courage and the experience of putting everything I owned on the line. And that's a tough decision to make, man. Okay. To develop business plans, raise the funding necessary, provide projected profit and loss statements to develop and start up my own multimillion dollar company. Okay. Had to bring investors in and everything. That's a big deal. That's a lot to go through. If it fails, you can lose everything you own. Okay. Mm -hmm. It wasn't ever given to me. So, and, and I have firsthand knowledge, too, which makes me a little different, of the educational system from inside out and how a great, high-quality schools are so important to recruiting 
prospective industry into our county. They don't want to come into a county where they don't have a strong workforce, an educated workforce, you know, to pull from. So um, I also owned and operated and have and still do for 42 years, a small farm. And I understand just exactly how extremely important agriculture is and just what all things affect agriculture. And boy, they're being hit hard right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Goodness gracious, you look at the, well, I I had to get into all that, but they they are hitting, they're being hit hard. But aside from that, aside from all that business experience, the main thing is I'm for less government, not more government. I'm for individual rights and freedoms that we're entitled to under the Constitution of the United States. I will fight against unconstitutional mandates, which are not laws passed by our legislature, okay, from the government. I am a strong supporter of the Second Amendment. Got to have a way to protect ourselves, guy. And I am for ensuring our children have access to quality education, including extremely important, strong vocational programs. You know, we, we saw where children, they, they, for whatever reason, and it was really for reasons it shouldn't be, the school system went through a time and said every child must go to college. Okay. Well, college is fine if you can be a doctor, lawyer, CPA, something professional like that, scientist, whatever. But for a lot of people, vocational education, you come out on the ground running. You don't have a tremendous amount of debt. You're making really good money. You got uh, uh, skills that will never go away that people always want. Okay, so I'm very much for that. And I'm a Christian conservative and a strong candidate with a very diverse background who simply and this is really important. I don't take it can't be done for an answer. Okay. Mm-hmm. I always look for ways to make it happen. I will be the county commissioner who will stand against tyranny in all of its forms and will work for what's best for all the citizens of Stanley County. I'm not a professional politician. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And um, I appreciate, you know, the sacrifice that you're making to run for office. I know that's a, that, that takes a lot for anybody. Uh, you know, anyone who chooses to run for office has my respect. I've done it before and it, it's, it's a hard deal. Um, if people want to follow your campaign, support you and what you're doing, see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can follow my Facebook page. It's Thomas Townsend, and that's T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D, like Townsend. Mm-hmm. For commissioner. Um, it has information and a link to where they can donate to my campaign campaign. Um, mm-hmm. The email is Thomas Townsend 2022 at gmail.com. And if they email me, I can give them an address to send a check if they'd rather do that. Mm-hmm. And it will all go into the campaign account and will really help out because you're right. It is extremely expensive, especially with the way materials have gone up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, President Biden's not helping that any, is he? No, he's he, that's a big issue there. So, um, well, anyway, that's great. I really appreciate your time so much. Um, thank you for all that you're doing. Um, you know, I'm certainly supporting your campaign behind you 100%, hoping for the best. Uh, you know, just to the folks out there, you know, uh, do what you can to support these guys. You know, tell a friend. You know, that's one of the most important things you can do is not only support these candidates yourselves, 
but tell all the people in your circle of influence about them as well and encourage them to get out there and vote. The primary is the election, folks, here, here in Stanley County. So we need you to get out there and vote, support these guys. If you have a question about where Tommy stands on something, hit him up on email, hit him up on Facebook, go find him somewhere where he's out and about. Be more than happy to talk to you. He's been, been beating the bushes all around the county. So uh, he's out there working hard for you, vote. So thanks again, Tommy. Wish you all the best. Um, and we'll, uh, we'll see how things go. Jason, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks again to uh, Mr. Townsend for the time. Um, Tommy's become a really good friend, um, as have the other candidates, um, Levi Green, Megan Allman, um, Patty Crump that we've interviewed before. Um, so I, I wanted to give these folks some time here on the podcast, um, make it a little bit easier for them to share their beliefs and views um, with all of you guys out there, you know, in the public. So, um, like I say, if you liked what you heard, share it with your friends, you know, encourage others to, to give them a look and a listen um, and so that they can be informed voters uh, this upcoming primary season. And it's coming quickly. So with that being said, it's time for action. All right. A few things today. So again, as I've been saying and as I will keep saying here for about another month and a half or so, support freedom fighters running for office. Our local freedom fighters are running for office. They're doing a 10 for the win fundraising campaign. If you like what you heard from Mr. Townsend, please support his campaign. Just go out there to his Facebook page. I'm going to link it in the show notes. He's got a PayPal account. You know, give him 20 bucks, 25 bucks, whatever it is that you can do. Forego a night out. You know, uh, you know it, it takes a sacrifice. But what is freedom worth? Isn't it worth that? So anyway, do what you can. I uh, would really appreciate your support uh, so that we can make this last final push because for us here in Stanley County, the primary is the election. We are a heavily Republican county. There's no Democrats running for school board, county commission, uh, or anything. So this is, this is the ball game right here. So uh, do what you can to support. Um, also, we've got a great event coming up um, on April the 13th. So Sloan Rackmuth of Education First Alliance, she's going to be at Tuscan Ridge, which is a beautiful wedding venue in Oakboro. Uh, the folks out there are so generous to let us come and use that great facility. Um, she's coming, uh, donating her time as well. Um, and we're going to be charging $10 at the door. All of the proceeds are going to go to the Freedom Network candidates to help uh, build to this 10 for the win. So just an easy way to come out and support Freedom candidates and learn a lot. Sloan Rackmuth does such a great job researching CRT. Ed First Alliance is all over CRT, SEL, social emotional learning, which is just another bastardization of the whole thing. So come on out. You're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn all about it and how to fight it. Um, it's going to be a great night for freedom lovers everywhere. People in Stanley County and surrounding counties are all being invited. So union folk, Cabarrus folks, come on out and join us. We'd love to have you. Next, we did it. I am so happy and proud to announce 115 of 115 school districts are now mask optional. Woohoo! So, so thankful for that. Thank you to all those who kept pushing over the last two years to get this done. Now, let's keep it this way, right? Finally, CRT is everywhere. Look for it, find it, and get it out. Well, that's all for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening to the First and Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and give it a five-star review. That will help ensure other freedom-loving North Carolinians find it as well. The show can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you go for podcasts. 
Finally, if you have additional feedback or show topic ideas, you can email me directly at firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. That's firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. Until next week, be first in freedom.